Uh, but this week, we're learning about the power of Christ over food. Uh, you guys can go ahead and turn... Oh goodness, I think it's John, I want to say either 6 or 11, I don't remember which one, 6, I think it's John 6, let me check, yes, John chapter 6, <clears throat> we've been talking about the different ways in the Bible that Jesus displayed his various powers in the Bible. Uh, we talk about a lot, especially in our culture nowadays, we have a lot of uh, stories about superhuman people with superhuman abilities, right? We have superheroes, you have your your DC guys, the Supermans and the Batmans, you've got your Marvel movies, you've got your Captain Americas and your Thors and so forth. <clears throat> and we talk about you know, there's TV shows and stuff with people with supernatural abilities, but we want to talk about Christ and how he displayed some incredible power in the scriptures. That's not because he was any kind of a superhero or any nonsense like that. It's only because he was the Christ. He is God in flesh. And there were certain things he wanted to reveal to us he has power and authority over. And I thought they were very interesting. I wanted to cover them. We talked about the power of Christ over... Does anybody remember the first one? Gosh. There's only two people in here, so... Um, and apparently neither one of them remember. What? No. Power of Christ over people? No. Uh, power of Christ over nature was the first one. Remember we had talked about uh, different things that he had commanded nature to do, the wind and the seas and then the fig tree and so forth. That was all the power of Christ over nature. Uh, Josh taught the next power of Christ. Does anybody remember? It was a two-part lesson. Does anybody remember what it was over? The power of Christ over? Animals? No, that was in the nature one. This one's people. Huh? This one's people. Power of people. Power no. of life. Christians? Okay. It's the power of Christ over death. Oh, I should have known that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to... Probably should have, but it's okay. Uh, the power of Christ over death. You guys really need to brush up before next week because it's going to catch you off guard. We don't even remember the titles of the lessons. We might want to take a listen to those as we're uh, on our way to work or something. Power of Christ over nature, the power of Christ over food uh, is today's lesson. The power of Christ over food. Now this one seems like a particularly helpful ability. Uh, the, the ability to provide food uh, would be incredible. And throughout the Gospels, we have moments where we see the power of Christ over those things that may be consumed for our sustenance, otherwise known as food. Uh, whether it be the knowledge that Satan showed that he had of Christ in the temptation of Christ, 
in asking that the Lord make, quote, these stones into bread. We might remember that. So we know that Satan knows that Christ has the ability to create food wherever he is. Right, and that's an important thing to, to understand. Or, <clears throat> whether we're talking about the fish, which we did discuss in The Power of Christ Over Nature, the fish that Jesus commanded to swim into the nets of Peter twice. Does anybody remember when, the, when both times were? First one's easy. I mean, I think I think I know what you're saying. I think you I think you're right about what you're trying to say. The first time was at the calling of Peter, Peter and John, and when Jesus very first called them into uh, following him, he said, "Follow me, and I'll make you fishers." But that was the first time. The second time was and I think this is what Amanda was trying to say was after Jesus had died. There was a period of time. Uh, where Peter and them didn't quite know what to do as dis disciples. Their job had been to follow Jesus, and now Jesus had uh, wasn't there anymore. And so, what they <clears throat> and so what they did, Peter said, "I'm going to go back to the fishing boat." Right. And so while he's there, Jesus manifested himself again, and uh, again commanded that those fish swim into the net. So again, showing his power over uh, nature, over animals, but also those things that we would use for food, right? Because that is what they were fishing for. That's the purpose. He's going to take those fish to the market and sell them for people to eat. So both of those things display Christ's power over food. And, and regardless of which one we're talking about, um, no story better dis... Um, <clears throat> The true power of Christ over food is no better displayed than it is in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Right? When you're talking about the Lord and you're talking about food, that's the story you go to, uh, is the feeding of the 5,000. <clears> so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. In John chapter 6, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we see, uh, firstly, this morning is needing food. We see them needing food. And uh, you can't really appreciate not having food until you need food, and or ha you can't appreciate having food until you need food, and there's none in there. So they have a need. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, uh, a great company just means a large crowd. It doesn't mean like Apple Incorporated was following Jesus. You know, it's just a large crowd. You can laugh at that. It's okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, and he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, <clears throat> saith unto him, There is a lad which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? So we see, first of all, 
needing food. And we see several things that I want to talk about. <clears throat> but the first thing we see is Jesus asking a question. And we've come across this a few times, whether it be in sermons or lessons, this thing where Jesus is asking somebody a question. right? And that would be really odd, if you think about it. Because Jesus, being God, is supposed to be all-knowing. right? He knows everything before he ever even asks the question. So how is it then that Jesus needs to ask a question? Well, anytime in Scripture you see the Lord asking a question, it's not for His knowledge. It's for somebody else's knowledge. right? He's asking a question that your brain needs to start working on. right? He, he needs you to realize you don't have the answer to this question. right? And so, Jesus asks a question. Uh, just like he did in John 21, which is the story we were referencing earlier about the second time he commanded the nets to be filled with fish. Uh, it says in verse 17, He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Right? Jesus asking Peter an important question here because the last time Peter and Jesus was together, Jesus was being beaten with the palms of people's hands. He was being spit on. And uh, he was having the hairs of his beard yanked out. And while Peter was on uh, the porch of the house watching all this take place while openly denying Jesus and cussing and swearing so that people would believe him when he said he wasn't a Christian. And the Bible says that when... Uh, when that happened, that Peter went out and wept bitterly. I believe in that moment personally that they locked eyes. And after denying him the third time, the rooster crowed. He saw the Lord seeing him, and it just broke his heart that he had betrayed his best friend like that, his Lord, his Savior, and someone that meant so much to him. And it bothered him so much that he went out and wept bitterly over it. Uh, so he's so that's the last time they saw each other here until John 21. And so they're sitting at the, the, the fish dinner that Jesus had prepared for them. And he says <clears throat> to Peter three times, Lovest thou me? Three times because Peter had denied Jesus three times earlier before. And so, again, Jesus is asking a question. But he's not asking a question for his sake. He's not asking Peter, do you love me? Because he needs to know. Jesus knows already and he knows that Peter loves him. But he needs Peter to really contemplate how much do I love my Lord. Right? He needs Peter to really dig in deep because a lot of the foundations of the early years of the gospel are going to be important to Peter. Peter's going to be the one to stand up on the day of Pentecost and proclaim the Lord there to all those different people groups where it says thousands get saved. right? And it's going to be him that sort of starts that movement. It's going to be him that uh, brings the gospel to the Gentiles. Remember that story where uh, he's on his roof on the Lord's Day and the Lord gives him a vision of a sheet coming down from heaven and the sheet coming down has all kinds of animals on it. And God tells Peter, kill and eat. 
And Peter, fun, and this is hilarious to me, Peter says to God, God, I can't obey you and kill these animals. That would be a sin. I can't eat these unclean animals. They're not clean to eat, God. I can't do what you told me to. That would be a sin. Peter, consider the source, right? But uh, <clears throat> God says to him in that moment, uh, Call thou not which I have blessed common. Because Peter says, I have eaten nothing common in all my life. Uh, and so, and what the vision means is that we, Gentiles, those of us who are not Jews, we're the common animals, right? We're the unclean. Uh, we were not Jews. And God is teaching him there that now the gospel and the work of the Lord and the church of God is opened up to the Gentiles as well. And he went and delivered the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time. And that was Peter who did that. The, the opening up of the gospel to the whole rest of the world was initially done by Peter. So, so much of the New Testament age we live in today hinged on Peter. So it was important before he got started to really understand are you invested? Do you love me like you need to before we get started? You need to really think about this, Peter. And so he's asking this question not for his sake, but for Peter's sake. And again, we see here in John 6, Jesus asking this question. <clears throat> he says, whence shall we buy bread? In other words, how uh, can we buy enough bread that all of these people uh, can eat? So he's asking them this question, but it says there in verse 6, he said this to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. The Bible here teaching us, Jesus asked him, asked this question to his disciples in order to test them. Right? He asked them this question because he knew they didn't have the answer. And he wanted to see how much faith they had. And that's what this is about. It's about the faith that people place in the Lord. And that, that really food is a great opportunity for that. If you've ever been low on food before, you understand that sort of sense of panic, don't you? If you've ever just barely scraped by and got you something uh, just so you wouldn't starve, right? Just so the stomach pains would go away, you know that sense of panic right that that will initiate a lack of faith in anybody to go into the pantries and it be bare and empty and so here he says again we have a great need for food and we don't have hardly any food what are we going to do so he's testing their faith and <clears throat> we see Philip's answer first and foremost Philip he's the practical thinker I wouldn't call Philip a pessimist by any means. Uh, if anything, I might call him a realist. You know, he, he's the one that crunches the numbers. He's the one that sort of does the calculations. He's the guy that goes into the grocery store and uh, he's got the calculator uh, app open on his phone and he's, he's keeping track of everything as he's going and making sure he's got the money before he ever goes to the register to make the payment. 
right? Most of us don't do it like that, right? Most of us, they just kind of put stuff in the basket, you go and pay at the end of the shopping trip and just hope that you don't get a call from MasterCard being like, what, somebody tried to spend $800? And you're like, no, I really had a hankering for Twinkies. Uh, Philip was not that kind of guy. He was the guy who always thought it all the way through every single time. He's a very practical thinker, very much a realist. Right, so he did the numbers in his head. He's like, okay, we've got 5,000 men alone. That's not including the women that came with them and the children. Evidently, there was at least one child there that had a little lunch, right? So he's doing the numbers in his head. And he comes up with this, this what he said here, this uh, figure, that 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that everyone could have a little bit of food. If we had 200 a penny worth, uh, for those of you uh, who, who aren't caught up on your ancient uh, coinage, which is everybody, uh, one penny worth was how much somebody was paid for one whole day's work. So one whole, what we would call eight-hour day, was one penny worth. Right? And he's saying 200 penny worth would not be enough money to buy enough food that everybody could have a bite. Is basically what he's saying. He's done the figures, he did the math, and he came up with this. Now the realist is usually a very wise person, right? The realist is usually a very smart person, and there's nothing wrong with being wise, you know, being smart, and, and being a realist with what you have. Uh, there are portions in the Bible where it talks about that. It says, no man goeth to war until he first sit down and counteth the cost, right? The book of Proverbs tells us about being wise with our things and our money and so forth. But I will say that <clears throat> there is a certain area in, within that where you have to leave room for the Lord to work. Right? Because I can tell you how many times me and Amanda, you try to do the budget, right? <clears throat> Trying to be a responsible you know, adults and you sit down, you do the budget and this is how much we're going to spend on this and this is how much we're going to spend on that. And you do it, you sit down and you get to the end of the month and you should have everything zeroed out, right? Where everything's like, we moved it to the savings, we did everything we're supposed to do, we're good to go. And yet somehow, I can't tell you how many times at the end of the month, everything went according to plan and we would still have a little bit extra money left over. And I would say, how do we have that? And Amanda would say, I have no idea how we have that. I'm just grateful we do. And you sometimes you have to leave the room for the Lord to work in those things. You know, uh, sometimes you come to the end of the month and it's the opposite, right? Sometimes you don't have extra money in the bank account. Sometimes you're like, well, I guess we don't pay the water bill this month. Which one are we not paying? As the, in those situations, it's the same thing. You have to leave room for the Lord to work, right? The problem with Philip's answer was he wasn't leaving room for the Lord to work in this. Uh because, I mean, of course, we, we know the story, so we know what happens. But then we have somebody else come up, right? Andrew comes up, and he says he found a little, a little lad there, a little boy, and he had, and we know this part, uh, what was it, five barley loaves, right? A barley loaf is about like that. It's about that big. It's basically a tiny biscuit is what it is. It's not like a loaf. When you think of a, a loaf, like a barley loaf, it's like a loaf of bread. These were small. These were like little bitty 
loaves of bread, like little biscuits. And uh, he had five of those and two, it says, small fishes. So it was about like, uh, like a sardine, basically. Two sardines. And that was what he had for his lunch. And I used to, when I teach this for the kids in junior church, I would have five little bitty biscuits about like that big. And I would have a, a little a sandwich baggie with two sardines in it that I take around and show all the kids, you know, and you, you get all the greatest reactions. Oh, gross, sardines, yucky, oh no. <clears throat> That's exactly what you want. But you really get that visual, right? You really understand this kid didn't probably even have enough food to fill him, let alone 5,000 plus people. Right? Andrew comes up and he says, This is what I found. This little boy is offering to give us his lunch, but it's too small. Right? It's too small. This young boy and his offering is too small to really help the Lord. Right? What are they amongst so many? And this is another practicality problem, right? Because. It can be tempting, and I can tell you as a pastor, it can be tempting to, you look at the numbers and you look at the figures and to say, ah, it's too small, right? To say, we're not going to get there. I don't see any way for this to, to work, to successfully take off in the way that I want it to, right? And that's in any aspect of life. It's tempting to look at somebody who's young or somebody who's small and to say I appreciate your heart in this but you can't help like I appreciate that you've got a good heart and you want to help me out but you're too small right you're too young you can't help me right it's tempting to do that and to think that you're right but you're not it was not any of those gigantic soldiers that slew Goliath. It wasn't even their own mighty warrior King Saul that slew Goliath. It was a little boy. David was still ruddy. He still had freckles. You know, he was like a, a young teenager. And that was that little boy, what young man was the one that slew Goliath. Right? All of these guys saying, David, I appreciate your heart, but you're just a kid. You need to go home. And they were wrong. When Jesus was teaching, and he was, there was a crowd gathering, and, and uh, as they began to notice Jesus was there, there was a, a large group of children that came running up to Jesus to play with him and so forth and talk to him. They were excited to see him. And as the disciples saw this, how would you ima imagine this? Because... Uh, I want to put you in their mindset to sort of understand where their head's at. It's Sunday morning. I'm up here teaching uh, the, or preaching the Sunday morning sermon. And all of a sudden, the kids from junior church all come in here, gather around the pulpit, and start talking to me. Right? Picture that in your head. That's what happened in this story with Jesus. And so the disciples, they immediately run up to this uh, to these kids and the Lord and they start trying to shoo the kids away because in their heads it's the teaching and the preaching that's more important <clears throat> and these kids need to stop being a distraction get out of the way and let him teach but the Lord 
responds to his disciples, and this is what he says. He says, suffer the little children and forbid them not. So in other words, he's saying what you're doing needs to be the opposite, right? Instead of telling these kids to get away, you need to be trying to gather more kids to join this crowd. You need to suffer them. You need to tell them you need to come see this Jesus. You need to come get to know the Lord. You need to come hear the word. You need to suffer them to do so. Make them know this is important. And you should not skip out on it. But, and then he says, forbid them not. Any kids that wanted to come to the Lord, don't forbid them. Don't shoo them away. Don't make them leave. Welcome them. Join them in. Instead of the kids being in the way, Jesus knew that it was these kids that these adults needed to see. Because it was in another portion of scripture that a child came up to him and he told the adults there, except ye have faith as a little child, ye shall not see the kingdom of God. What was he trying to teach us there? We as adults are very mature, right? Very practical thinkers. Right? We, we don't want the wool pulled over our eyes, right? Somebody calls you up on the phone from a number you don't know, and they tell you some uh, prince from over in Africa is trying to move his, his wealth over here, but he needs somebody to help him. Give us your social security number, and we'll, we'll give you all the prince's wealth, and uh, you can keep a portion of you know, You're not going to do that, right? I hope to God you would not do that. Right? Because there are so many people out there trying to fool you. Have you ever seen somebody broke down on the side of the road? Have you ever been hesitant to stop and help that person pulled over on the side of the road? You know why? Because of Bonnie and Clyde. Right? That's what it is. You know how they did what they did? You see all the movies and stuff made about them that make them seem so glamorous, right? They were taking it to the man. They were stealing from these banks that were taking people's homes from them. And they were getting justice for the people. They weren't. They were just violent, bloody, greedy people who didn't care about you and your house getting stolen. They just wanted the money from the bank. But what they would do is they would pull over on the side of the road make it look like they had engine trouble. And when a police officer would stop to help them and get out of their car, they would blow them away with a shotgun. Right? There are so many people out there that have made us hesitant to help. Right? They make it they, so we're a little, a little worried that someone's going to hurt us. Right? Someone's going to take advantage of us. Someone's going to steal from us. And we're, we're, we're so reluctant. So, so we develop this idea. And I think it's good to be cautious. You know, that's wise and perfectly safe. But what it does do is it makes it hard for us to have faith in the areas that we should have faith. Right? Because we get used to needing to see it. Right? I need proof that you're not going to pull a gun on me or that you're not going to drain my bank account. I mean, there was even a story uh, from one of the churches I worked at where this lady was working for the church, working for the church's school that was going on at the time, was real good friends with everybody there, and then uh, just one day stole a bunch of money from the church and skipped town. Was never heard, of, heard from again. You know, you hear about stuff like that taking place in churches all the time. We were talking about a story the other day of a church uh, where this lady went out uh, on a on a it was a teen like they were out at a cabin sort of thing, and it was like a, supposed to be like a church event 
that they were at and then tried to get the teenage girls to undress in front of her. And it just so happened one of the teenage girls who had her phone on her, who wasn't supposed to have their phones on her, which is another reason I don't agree with leave your phones at home, but that's besides the point. She caught it all on camera and the person got caught. But you hear about that kind of stuff all the time, don't you? And it makes you hesitant to trust. But then you begin to get this thing in your mind where I need to see anything in order to believe it. And that's where we, we get to as adults, right? Like as an adult, it's hard for me to just trust it. You know, because I've learned if I trust something, I'm going to get hurt. Right? That is the, the natural attitude. But then Jesus says, except you have faith as a little child, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because kids, they don't run off of the scars on their heart. That's not how they decide. Right? They see the world in full color. Right? They see, it's, it's like that moment on, uh, in Wizard of Oz where she comes out of her house into Munchkin Land and it goes from the black and white to the color. That's how kids see. They see in full color. They see worlds unexplored. They see you know, opportunities and possibilities and new friends to make. And they, everything is so full of joy and happiness. They're just immediately ready to believe everything the Bible says. They're immediately ready to trust the Lord with their whole heart. Kids are. And it's this kind of faith that Jesus is talking about. He says, except ye have the faith of a little child, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. That in order to get saved, you have to trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Fully trusting in Him. And this little lad here was exact, like, like the kids that ran to Jesus, like the child Jesus used as an example, he was the answer to their problem. He was the answer sitting in front of them, but they couldn't see it because they were too busy being mature, responsible adults. Now, I think you ought to be mature. I think you ought to be responsible, but it can be overdone. You have to, not have to, but you really should leave room in your life for some whimsy. That is the way the Lord intended it. Life is meant to be fun. Andrew said, what is this? Among so, uh, among so many. Andrew forgot that little is much when God is in it. So we've seen needing food, and then we see secondly this morning is providing food. When the Lord is providing food, here in verse 10, Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, which is excellent when you're wanting a nice comfortable place to sit, right? Like God provided his own natural pillow. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. Like I said before, that's just the men, right? That's not taking into account the women and children that were there as well. And Jesus took the loaves, these little biscuits, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. Likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. Uh, it says in verse 12, When they were filled, he said unto the, his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. 
Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that that, uh, that prophet that should come into the world. Faith in the Lord begins with obedience to the Lord. That's how it begins. Because you can't believe in something you haven't seen, right? How shall they believe in Him whom they have not seen? Or whom they have not heard? And how, the, how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall he preach except he be sent? You can't believe in something you've never experienced. Right? So you have to trust the Lord. You have to take that step of faith. Right? It's like that... Um, uh, that Indiana Jones movie. I think it's the second one. Uh, the third one. It's the third one. The one with uh, Sean Connery in it. And he's at that, that big gap between two cliffs. And he's got to make it all the way across. But the, the riddle or whatever it is uh, talks about a step of faith. Right? So he sort of sticks his, his leg out there and he just kind of steps forward and he goes to fall off the cliff and he lands, his foot lands on a path that leads all the way across that you couldn't see because it blends in with the dark cliff side down below. So he had to take that first step of faith before he could uh, make the rest of the trip. A similar thing happens at the Jordan River with Joshua and the children of Israel. You see, before Jericho, before they march around the battles uh, for the Battle of Jericho, before uh, the Veggie Tales drop slushies on their heads, they, uh, I know. They were at. They had to cross the Jordan River first. That was the moment, right? That was the moment where they're leaving behind the doubt of the wilderness they had wandered for forty years, and they're entering into that promised land of faith, right? And the waters are going to part for them to cross, like it did at the Red Sea. But it's going to be a little different this time. You see, at the Red Sea, the waters parted. And then they crossed, right? They got all the way across, and as the Egyptians were starting to cross, the water closed in on them. This time, the water will not cross without a step of faith. The waters will not open, excuse me, without a step of faith. They had to come up to the edge of the water. The priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had to take that first step of faith before the water would begin to part for the rest of the, the Jordan River. <coughs> It required a step of faith by obeying the Lord. Because that's what obeying the Lord is. It's a step of faith. Jesus told them, make the men to sit down, told them the instructions, what they should do. If we want to see God do something amazing in our lives, we must start by obeying. Notice also the disciples didn't question the Lord at all. Now this would seem a little odd to me, wouldn't it you? Philip just talked about how much we would need to even give everybody a single bite. Andrew said what we have and how tiny it is and what are they amongst so, so many. And then Jesus says, okay, make the men sit down and you guys start handing out food. What? Hand up, like the first fan. It's not even good. That kid wouldn't even get it. Okay. They didn't do any of that. The first 
instruction of the Lord. They take what he said to take and they hand it out and do exactly what he said to do. No ifs, no ands, no buts, no coconuts, no arguments, no nothing. They just go and do exactly as they were told. We ought to be responsible, like I said before, but we shouldn't allow our responsibilities to turn into worry or anxiety. Right? And there is a line where it becomes you being responsible with what you have and you worrying over something that's completely out of your control. Right? And that is where faith must come in. You've done all the things the Lord told you to do. The rest is just a matter of faith. If it's not something within your control, if it's not something you have the power to do and be responsible and do right and righteously and godly, the rest of it's just a matter of faith. It's just waiting on the Lord to do His part. <clears throat> That's what the disciples did. They, they understood that, okay, I've done my part. I've handed out the elements. right? And now we're just going to wait and see what the Lord does. So that's all you can do. You can say, okay, I went to work. I earned the money. I was responsible with that money. I tithed on that money because that's what the Bible says a Christian should do with their money is tithe. I've done everything the Lord said to do. Now I'm just going to leave the rest up to God. I'm just going to sit back and wait to see what He does because I have done everything that I can do and that I should have done. Sitting and thinking and mulling over in your head isn't going to change anything. There was a quote by Spurgeon I read the other day. I accidentally came across that saved on my phone. And I'm, I'm going to get it wrong. Um, but basically it said that <clears throat> worrying doesn't spare you problems from tomorrow. It only robs you of the joy of today. Right? And there's, that's so true. The Bible says be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known unto God. And the very next verse, My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory. Right? The Bible makes no qualms about it. If you have a need, God will take care of it. Something that you need the Lord to help you with, God's got it. There's no reason for care. be careful for nothing. No reason for worry or anxiety. The Lord has you. And notice something else really amazing happened. Did you notice? Because sometimes you can read through the story and not notice. Because they all ate. But that wasn't it, right? From five little biscuits and two sardines, it said they ate and they all were filled. Right? They had five little biscuits and two sardines and ate like they just got done with a catfish buffet with 5,000 men and some of them with their families. Sat down like they just went to McGeehee's. You know, if you don't know what McGeehee's is, you're watching this, I weep for you. I really do. That is some of the best catfish. The only other catfish I've ever had Better than McGeehee's, in my opinion, is the catfish that Amanda and Sylvia make. And let me tell you, oh, it's good stuff. They make jalapeno hush puppies. Man, you guys haven't lived. You guys getting hungry yet? <laughs> but they had, they had almost nothing, right? And the power of Christ over food 
he displays here and creates so much food, all the tummies were full. All of them. It would have still been an incredible miracle, even if the verse stopped uh, at they did all eat. But Jesus not only fed them all, he fed them all until every man, woman, and child were full. And beyond that, there were 12 baskets of food left over. <clears throat> Sorry. You know, the Bible teaches us that nobody leaves Jesus' table hungry. You ever read in the Psalms, He prepares the table before me in the presence of mine enemies? Shepherd's Psalm, Psalm 23. That's what it means. You're sitting at the table of our Lord. You never leave His table feeling hungry. You always leave satisfied. Me and Amanda had the honor of finally being able to make up our Valentine's dinner the other day and uh, had the honor of going to uh, Texas Roadhouse. I had been to Texas Roadhouse. Gosh, it's had to have been years, right? <clears throat> Got there. Nice, good food. We ordered plate of appetizers and we got our meal and let me tell you by the time I got a good three-fourths of the way through of my meal I couldn't eat another bite I was stuffed there's nothing in the world quite like that feeling of being full of some really good food right Jesus leaves everybody feeling like that nobody ever leaves his table feeling anything less than satisfied they say why don't I feel satisfied you don't spend enough time at his table Nobody leaves his table feeling hungry. They all ate. They were all filled. And the 5,000 followers found faith in Jesus. <clears throat> said in verse 14, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Many there that day had seen the miracles of Jesus and still never believed like this, right? They had just left a town. Uh, you can read earlier on in chapter 6 where he had just left the town after healing all of their sick. Right? Casting out demons. They had seen him do all of this and yet weren't going to take him by force and make him a king. It was only after the feeding of the 5,000 they were going to do that. What was the difference, I ask you this morning? What was the difference between the miracles of healing and, and the casting out of demons and the feeding of the 5,000? Why would the feeding of the 5,000 make them believe so much stronger than the other miracles. It's personal. It's personal. Yep. Sure. You know what the problem is, is that when we read these stories, we read them like a work of fiction. And we never even really realize we're doing that, but we do. We need to remember that these were real people with real day-to-day -day struggles. 
They worried about the same things we do. How to pay the bills, you know, the health and safety of their family, and how to put food on the table. That was the biggest concern of their day. How to put food on the table. The difference is this miracle showed them firsthand that Jesus is able to provide for them even when they cannot provide for themselves. And that they never had to worry again so long as they had faith in Jesus. Most of us can testify that having dad around makes you feel like you can let your guard down a little bit, right? You got a parent around, especially dad, you feel like, I don't have to have my guard up so much. I don't have to have my head on a swivel so much making sure nobody's coming at the family, right? Got to have that hand on the hip, you know, ready to do battle just in case. You know, make sure the wife has got her pepper spray ready to roll. You chuckle, she does. We're ready to roll. Come at me. You know? It's the way you feel like you got to be, especially if you got kids. And me and Amanda were talking about this the other day. Where it's like when you go to the grocery store and it's just you or it's you and the spouse, it's a good time. You know, you enjoy yourself pretty well. When you've got two little kids, you are on guard duty, right? You have got your head on a swivel. You are looking around for perverts, for kidnappers. You're looking around. Anybody and everybody is a potential threat. I don't know you, stay away from my kid. You don't talk to them, you talk to me. I don't know you, you know? You are on guard all the time and you can't really enjoy it as much because you have to be so on guard with your kids, right? But when you've got, you know, mom and dad with you, grandparents come with you to the store or something, you feel like you can let your guard down a little bit. They're gonna, they're gonna help me watch the kids, they're gonna help me stay safe. We're good. And that's important to understand because our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ can make us feel the same way if we'll have the faith, right? If we'll trust our Heavenly Father, we'll trust the, the Lord like that, you can let your guard down, right? You don't have to be so worried all the time. The Lord has you. Your Heavenly Father has you. You can let your guard down. It's going to be okay. He'll take care of you. When was the last time you were so full of faith that you felt like you could take on the whole world? When was the last time you allowed yourself to let go of all your worries, all your anxieties, and all your fears because you know your Heavenly Father will always be there to take care of you. When Jesus is displaying His power over food, it's not just about the food. It's about His ability to take care of us as His children. He's not just displaying His, his power of multiplying bread. Boom. Garlic knots. What a power, right? You know, uh, boom. Rye bread. Man, that's amazing. It was more than that. It was about His ability to take care of His children, us, and trusting our Heavenly Father.